In January 2019, federal courts in California and Pennsylvania temporarily blocked two Trump administration rules that would have broadly allowed employers to deny their employees health insurance coverage for contraceptives on the basis of religious or moral objections. The rules aim to erode the requirement in the Affordable Care Act that most private health plans cover contraception and contraceptive counseling without patient cost sharing. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Cynthia Chuang, a professor of medicine and public health sciences at the Pennsylvania State University College of Medicine. Dr. Chuang has co-authored a perspective article about the legal battle over attempts to weaken the ACA's contraceptive mandate. Dr. Chuang, can you tell us a bit about the contraceptive mandate? Why was it included in the ACA, and what effect has it had on access to contraception? The contraceptive mandate was included in the Affordable Care Act to be enacted in August 2012, and the purpose of it was to allow no-cost coverage for women to have access to contraceptive services and contraception itself. And we have seen that since then, there has been an increase in the number of women who are using contraception. And perhaps most importantly, it has led to an increase in long-acting reversible contraceptives, namely the IUDs and the contraceptive implant, which have been the most expensive forms of contraception, so perhaps more difficult to get historically, but also the most effective forms of contraception. How would these new rules change the mandate, and what's the argument for why they're necessary? The new rules would have allowed a broader number of employers to be able to claim that the contraceptive coverage mandate violated their religious or moral rights and allow them to be able to say that they did not want to provide this coverage for their employees. So the administration's argument was that this would provide protection to those employers. So in order to protect their own religious and moral liberties, they would be able to be exempt from that rule. However, in my view, being able to protect the religious and moral liberties of these employers is infringing upon the religious and moral liberties of the patients that we're trying to protect. So by allowing the employers to have to make this objection, we're not allowing women to be able to make the choices that they need to make for their own personal health. In fact, you write in your article that the rules could, as you say, undermine women's reproductive autonomy, also lead to an increase in the rates of unintended pregnancies, unintended births, and abortions. So are there any estimates about how many employers would take advantage of this kind of exemption? And if they did, what options would their employees have for obtaining contraception? We don't actually know what the scope might be. We do know that within the current time, that approximately one out of 10 large nonprofits currently have requested accommodation from the contraceptive coverage mandate. So we might assume that if even more employers are allowed to request exemption, that might increase further and put more women at risk for unintended pregnancy and need for abortions. But we certainly don't know for sure. We do know that, unfortunately, if these rules do eventually go into effect, there is no requirement for employers to report that they are requesting exemption or accommodation. So we really have no way of tracking or knowing how many potential employees or their dependents may be affected by a rule change. 
As you write, the rules were temporarily blocked from implementation by federal courts in California and Pennsylvania in January, just as they were scheduled to go into effect. Has anything happened since then? And do you expect the administration is going to appeal the injunctions? Nothing has happened yet since then, so we don't exactly know what will happen. However, the expectation of those courts is that the administration will appeal and they'll probably go to the Circuit of Appeals Court, and then we'll have to wait to see what happens at that juncture. If they are blocked again at that juncture and they are appealed again, then they could go to the Supreme Court, but certainly we don't know until that happens. You also say in your article that eroding the ACA's contraceptive mandate is just one of several ways the Trump administration has targeted family planning. So what other actions has the administration taken, and how would you see them as potentially harmful? One of the things that the administration has done is they have concurrently threatened to limit Title X funding. So they have issued rules that actually just came out last week that would limit Title X funding from providers who not only provide family planning services and contraceptive services, but also provide abortion care. So this would most notably affect Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood provides a broad range of contraceptive and family planning services and primary care services, and they also, in some cases, provide abortion care. So the new rules would suggest that if you do provide abortion services, you would not be able to be eligible for Title X funding, which is federal funding for family planning services. So that is one of the other things that the administration has done that could limit family planning services for American women. In addition to that, the administration supports abstinence until marriage as the primary family planning education message. So I think that can have negative effects in our school systems and in our clinics as well. Finally, what can individual physicians do to help ensure that their patients have access to the methods of contraception that they want, regardless of whether rules such as these ultimately go into effect? I think it's important for physicians and other healthcare providers to know what the resources are within their own communities. So for them to know who the family planning providers are, what kind of services they provide, and so physicians can be at the ready to be able to refer their patients whenever family planning services are needed. Of course, as a primary care provider myself, I think it's very important for primary care providers to feel comfortable in providing family planning services themselves as much as they are able to their own patients, but so that we can be ready to provide care, whether it be direct care or referral care to our patients when they need them. Thank you, Dr. Chuang.